The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to a special Americans edition of the Vulture TV podcast. I'm Gazella Mami, Vulture's TV editor, and I'm here with our TV columnist Margaret Lyons and TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hey guys. How hey. You so we're really excited today because we're talking about a show that I think is a favorite of all three of ours. Sure. And we haven't really talked about the show in depth before on the podcast. So Wednesday night was the season three finale of The Americans. But we want to start by talking a little bit about the season as a whole because it's the show has been widely acclaimed, but this season in particular has gotten a lot of acclaim and million articles have been written about how it's the best show on TV right now. What do you guys think about this season and what in particular made it so good and better than the other seasons and just a great show on its own? I mean, I think it's the example of why miniseries are not always the best way to tell a story, right? Because I thought season one of The Americans was great. But if we had only ever had 13 episodes with these characters, I don't know that we'd ever have had time to get to know them and watch them develop and have these stories sort of metabolize, like watch them Mm -hmm. cope with stuff. So I think being able to have, you know, more show is good. I think sometimes people get very caught up in this, like, we should do it like the British model of like one episode and that's it forever, (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) And like those ideas, I think this is a good example of why it's, it can be thrilling to spend a long period of time with characters and, and to see, I think especially with Paige stuff this season, but also like the sort of cracks in Elizabeth and Phillips, like like the more they're telling each other about how hard it is to keep up this act. You know, we've watched them do it now for three seasons. I liked how much I was able to invest in it. I think over the period of time, you just, you grow to care a lot more. And I think this season, they just, they had laid so much groundwork in one and two. And this was just digging deeper and deeper into that sort of tortured mindset. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that appeals to me so much about the show, and also that I think probably prevents it from being really a hit show, is that it completely commits to its premise. You run into TV shows very often where they have a particular premise that requires the characters to be deceitful, cruel, murderous, or or otherwise what we call unlikable. But they often can't go all the way with it. It's like they can't bring themselves to go all the way with it because they don't want to turn everyone in the audience off and maybe themselves as well. And the the Americans does not <laughs> have that fear at all. They really don't. Like, they really have thought about what this world is about and what are the implications of the lives that these characters have chosen. And they are very, very dark implications. They're, and I think things are going to only get nastier from here. In terms of how the show sort of confidently moves forward in its premise, I also like how infrequently it reminds us of things. Like, you have to pay pretty good attention to the Americans. I think a lot of shows, especially shows that are not doing super hot in the ratings, wind up having a, not a recap episode, but an episode that's like, hey, new people, like, you could join in now. <laughs> right. Um, and I think the Americans has been like, I don't know, you snost and lost. Yeah, like, exactly, exactly. Like, you're out. Like, you missed your chance. Go back, catch up, and we'll be here when you're ready. But it would be a hard show to jump in on. I'm dreading where they go in season four after this because I, I have a feeling Pastor Tim is a goner. And, in fact, I wouldn't put it past them to get rid of one of those kids, too. Hmm. I really would not. You I think, think so? I think I really, I really do. I would <laughs> not put it past them. That's how dark this show is. Because, you know, there is such a thing as collateral damage. And, and uh, you know, if you saw The Godfather 2, you know that family doesn't protect you. 
God. I know. See, <laughs> I can't think of very many other shows. Like, I don't think even The Sopranos would have done something like that. But this show might. So, again, I mean, I think this is a hard show to predict. First of all, the fact that Martha is still alive is like, like how did yeah. that happen? Not, well, for, for, not for long. Philip, right? I mean, can we talk a little bit? Right. Well, but I mean, I certainly expected her to be killed in the finale. Yeah. And that didn't happen. I did. I'm calling it for episode two or three in the next season. <laughs> I, call, I mean, I was calling it in season one. It's like, that lady's a goner, right? So yeah. I think the way that that show is very comfortable inhabiting a space of dread. I wrote about this last week that, like, the sort of central sensation of the Americans is dread, especially because we know that they do very dreadful things, right? It's not paranoia. They yeah. really are doing horrible things. And it's like, it, oh, something bad is going to happen. And it does. And they compartmentalize it They in the way that a lot of unlikable characters do. And that scene of uh, Philip very calmly typing a suicide note on the computer oh, while God. this guy's body is swinging behind <laughs> him really was chilling. And there's there have been a lot of scenes that are that upsetting on the show. And what's even more upsetting than the violence itself is seeing Philip struggling to process it and sort of tamp it down and push it down so that it doesn't eat away at him. And I feel like he has a much more obviously guilty conscience than oh, Elizabeth yeah. does. This um, was such a great episode for him. It was. He, this finale episode, I feel like you kind of start to feel sick to your stomach alongside with him as he kind of... Uh, you get all these moments of him kind of zoned out and staring off. And and then the only moments he seems to come back to life is when he's with his family. Like, yeah. You see these moments towards the end where he's just lying on his bed, kind of staring off into space. And then his family comes home and you kind of start to see something has like snapped in him and his priorities have... He's kind of realizing what his priorities are, which is what he tells... What's his name? Frank Langella's character in the beginning. Gabriel. Gabriel, yeah, that he's Grandpa he's, he's going to look after his family, and that's what he has to do. Yeah, one of the motifs in this season has been taking off the disguise and showing people the real you, or as close to it as you can get on the Americans. And, and there have been a number of scenes, and it's interesting how many of them are dependent on reaction shots, not so much on dialogue. When Philip takes off his wig mm-hmm. for, for Martha, it's like... A monster removing his monster makeup. That's what it reminded me of. Like the scenes that you see on DVD supplements yeah. where they show somebody putting on or taking off makeup of some creature, some alternate identity. So I was going to say it's, it's like very a, meticulous. It's a monster taking off his man makeup, right? Right. That's exactly right. Like, it's yeah. Not, yeah. It's not like, oh, right. monster, you looked so glamorous. It's like, oh, I'm not glamorous. I'm simply a homely <laughs> monster. It's like, it no, is. you thought he was this like herb guy or whatever. And it's like, oh, I'm not only is Clark not who you think he is. But I'm not even Clark. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's so many scenes that are, in a sense, that scene, including the scene where uh, uh, Philip and Elizabeth tell Paige the truth about themselves. You know, that's an instance of stripping off the mask. And then we've got this moment. My, uh, my favorite moment, maybe in the entire season, and boy, is it hard to choose, is the moment where uh, Elizabeth takes Paige with her to Russia and she sees her mother. Right. And that was so powerful to me because oh my God. because it was the first moment in a long time where I felt like there was no deception on the part of anybody in that room. Like everything that was being felt was was real. It was actually it was actually real. This is a daughter and her mother and her mother's mother, you know. Yeah. Do you think it was a mistake for her to take her to Russia given given what happens and Yeah. I mean, you hear Elizabeth tell Philip, I think it was good for her, but you know that she's lying to him. Yeah. She she knows that things are kind of 
irrevocably different after yeah. that. Yeah, Paige's reaction, I love that Paige's reaction after she returns to Russia is to reach out to Pastor Tim, and also the moment where she prays for yeah, her for her mother. Yeah, that was really powerful. That, and, and Elizabeth doesn't stop her. Elizabeth has one of those moments that we talked about, you know, in the context of other shows, including Mad Men, where people who live by a particular code have a moment where they have to, you know, I can abide by the the code that I've set out and so rigidly followed, or I can go with the flow and be real. And and she and she she lets her pray. I thought that was beautiful. When we have uh, Elizabeth talk about her mom and and Paige asks her, you know, what she's like, and she's like, oh, she's she was really tough, but she had to be. Right. So who are we talking about here? She's talking about herself. She's really tough because she has to be. And I think when she when Paige says, would you ever send me away? Would you ever make me go away forever? And the response isn't no. The response is you would never have to do that. Right. And that's not the same thing. And I think Elizabeth maybe doesn't quite realize like the depth of what she's lost. And I think watching that through Paige's eyes clues her in to just how fractured her existence has become mm-hmm. and and I think part of the training and we see that in flashbacks is this sort of removal of self the sort of ability to be in a permanent state of denial all of this stuff you trained really hard and got good at it over the period over a period of a very long time with extremely high stakes life and death not just for you but for everyone you ever cared about right and I think once you practice that kind of deep like psychological warfare on yourself it's very hard to ever see through it again and I think watching her like seeing Elizabeth see herself through Paige's eyes that's why she looked so just broken in that scene where she like slides down and sits on the bathroom floor while Paige is praying Mm -hmm. I don't think she even thought about telling her to stop because I think she's suddenly like oh god like this this is I thought this would be tough but like man I don't I didn't quite get how hard it would be for you, my daughter, who I do genuinely love. The parallel that we're sort of sussing out this season is Philip and Martha in contrast to Paige and Elizabeth, right? Because Elizabeth is sort of in charge of Paige's process now, in a way, and Philip is in charge of Martha management. Right. And obviously the way that they love their daughter is very different from the way Philip manipulates Martha and that sort of performance of love that's not real love although it's very hard to know the difference when you're on the receiving end of it I don't know how you could possibly Mm -hmm. and there are Um, moments where I feel like Philip is like an actor who is committed to a role I think he does feel some affection for Martha right and I think he's the one in a in a another sham marriage right and right. i think he sometimes yet legally a real one in contrast <laughs> yeah. to his quote unquote real marriage to but elizabeth but i think when elizabeth is like no you know be tougher about stuff i think there's a part of him that's like you're not in a long haul like this like i am yeah and you i know, can't, i really can't <laughs> that's see my it. wife you're talking about there's a little bit of that right <laughs> i mean not yeah. like there is a part of him that's you know i'm doing this kind of work that you're not doing you do other kinds of work and we agree that we both are carrying these very heavy burdens but my burden is is different than your burden and you don't get to belittle that and also he has a secret he has a secret within all of these other secrets which is his son who is over in afghanistan who he listened you know he's trying to get reports on him mm-hmm. via the shortwave radio and we see and that's that becomes a very important visually important thing in this season is this idea of him like reaching out to the other side of the world i was surprised we didn't see kimmy i yeah. feel like there was a lot of stuff in this finale yeah. that was amazing and then a lot of stuff where i was like what about Kimmy, what about Martha? Like, when are we going to kill everyone? Right. <laughs> I, 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 I can't see Philip supporting killing Martha at this point, based on the finale episode, when he could barely even kill her colleague when he saw kids' toys, like, 
in his apartment. I feel like we've reached a turning point with him. Do you think the center would have her killed anyways? Like even if Philip. Well, I don't. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think, think they he, have to do it. I don't you think, don't he think he insi- he, they'd insist that Philip, that Philip carry it out. But I think it'd be like make sure she's at whatever spot. Right. He could something. set it up. He could. You set think it up. he would still set it up? I think he'd have to. Right. That's yeah. sort of how the show works. Is that even when well, like it's the removal what? of want. Like they're not. Their wants are not actually relevant. That's what it means to be a soldier. That your own wants are not. In, that's not the equation. You but are given like, orders and you carry them out. it seems like at the end of the episode, he kind of is starting to crack in that. Like, can we actually play this scene of towards the end when um, Paige is talking on the phone to Pastor Tim and then it cuts between her on the phone and Philip and Elizabeth talking and Philip is struggling to get words out. Hi, Alice. It's Paige. Can I talk to Pastor Tim? This guy today, his apartment, had all this kid stuff, games, you know, stuff Henry plays with. It was hard. It was hard, Elizabeth. Hi. No, I'm not. I've been having a really hard time and I'm hurting. A lot. I don't know what to do. I almost feel like when I do this stuff, if I don't, I just feel like from now on, I need to be able to know what I'm doing better. So I. So it's in this scene where he's like a child talking. He's like, I need to know what I'm doing better. And it feels like he can't take it anymore. It feels like he's on the edge. He's on the edge of not being able to follow orders. That's what it feels like. And he's he's been pushing a little closer to that brink ever since the pilot. And we saw him Mm -hmm. uh, doing, you know, like they've been building dancing, dancing in that department store to Queen of Hearts. You know, like he's (laughs) he's at heart much more of an American than Elizabeth is. Like he's not playing the role in the way that she is. I think he's become it. I sort of expected. And again, don't do that for the Americans. But I kept thinking there would be a point at which they explained Soviet philosophy to Paige, right? There's no right. explanation There's, of well, why their values, what is at stake for their values is, yeah. right? So it's like, and instead it, of caring even, about America, come to the other side where, nah, we're not going to tell you why, even, right? And, like, and there's any no conversation that's like, anytime she wants to leave the room, they're like, okay. And they don't <laughs> ever really kind of sit her down and talk to her. I about... just wanted it to be, you know, when when Elizabeth talks about why her mother had to be so tough, it's like, let's hear the whole story. Give us give us the whole thing. Give Paige this narrative. Mm-hmm. We know Paige is religious, but And she's it... also involved with a, a group that is sympathetic to left wing causes. Sure. Like they're they're is... very anti Reagan administration, this yeah. group. And I think, you know, especially because she's such a otherwise very typical American teenager, all she's ever heard about Soviet politics is how bad it is and and how broken and, you know, false and all this stuff. So to ask her to somehow be okay with that without giving it the spin or the idea of like, so this is what we stand for. This is why we think this is worth doing. This is 
this is an alternate system of beliefs that you can hold like we do. And yeah. I think it's very hard to ask someone to stop believing what they believe without giving them a replacement, right? Right. It, 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 how could you possibly, especially as a teenager, when self building is still such an important part of how right. you go through a day? And, like just... and yeah, and you respond to your parents saying because I said so with a lot more opposition than you did when you were a little kid. Right. And this is this isn't even a value neutral thing, right? It's value right. neutral whether I go to bed right now or not. <laughs> it's right. not value neutral whether I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Supporting the United yeah. States or the Soviet Union. Right. right. Like yeah. those, have, those are bigger philosophical questions. And I think because Paige is a smart kid, I was surprised there wasn't more persuasiveness with the idea of like we could take her to like a secret plant church where it's like secretly communist philosophy that she's right. being exposed right. to. or She's naturally found her way into that. That's interesting, too. I still wonder, part of me, if, if Pastor Tim is secretly like yeah. a part of the organization. <laughs> yeah, like, I've wondered no that. I've really? wondered that, too. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like this cannot possibly be the whole story for him, right? Because yeah. I think for a character who's given us a lot of nothing, right? Like, we don't know anything about him. I don't give two shits about Pastor Tim, right? But he's playing a very important role in the show. And so I feel like we're leading up to some kind of well, reveal. Maybe the, his... I mean, I feel like maybe he's just, as Matt said, going to die. Right, but I want, if he's just going to die, then for him not to seem like just yet another person on the Americans who died, I mean, I couldn't even, I definitely couldn't name everyone who's died on the Americans. But he's not just another person because to Paige, that would be like... It it's, would, it it would, would be, be more it's, about it's like it's basically killing it's, God. Yeah. It's like the Soviet Union and killing God if like, they kill him. I'm think, serious. I think the parents That's what know that, that means on this show. Yeah. You know, she's introduced more, an element of spiritual torment onto the show that is pre 20th century. And it's everything that the Soviet Union in the 20th century defined itself against. And, and so that, in a way, makes it the ultimate rebellion. And at a certain point, when an authoritarian regime like her parents are threatened by a rebellion, the rebellion has to be crushed. And, and that's why I think I just don't I can't imagine Pastor Tim surviving very long. If they don't kill him, then they're, they're going to, like, contrive some kind of a sex scandal and get him reassigned to some other city or something. Like, he's got to be out of the picture. Right. I mean, they'll also obviously deny it. Right. If he's like, oh, hey, I got a weird phone right. call from your daughter the other day. Right. Or maybe he's bound by the confidentiality yeah. of talking to a minister. It wasn't in a confession That's capacity true. or a traditional like capital C confession for a Catholic yeah. church. But the things you confide in your pastor are not. Um, they don't usually run around blabbing about it. You know, <laughs> right. And there's the good ones don't, at least. <laughs> but I mean, her telling him coincides with Reagan's speech of the evil empire. The evil empire. And, you know, there's all this sentiment going around that is probably going to influence Well, and it's also, like so many other things on the show, it has, you know, one of the things I love about the show is how it is filled with symbolism and sort of mythical associations, but they're just, they're expressed entirely in terms of the actions. Like the characters are not aware of themselves as, as symbolizing anything. They're not aware of themselves as characters. Many of them, except for, you know, one or two visits to, uh, you know, Est, there's no sense that they're even interested in that. Like, like it's very much a kind of a pre-1990s, like, therapy mm-hmm. means something is wrong with you kind of mentality <laughs> that most of these people express. And, like, the, the, the Russians definitely aren't going to do that. And so that means that all of this stuff is expressed in terms of what people are doing. Like, what are they actually doing? But that makes it just as complex as a show that is more self-aware, I find. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's, a, there's as much going on in this show as there is on a show like Mad Men, which wears its complexity on its sleeve, you know, and it's a very handsome sleeve. 
Um, <laughs> but there's roles within roles within roles. There's dramas within dramas and multiple levels of identity. Like, and none of them are exclusive. Like, there's no, you can't really look at Philip and say that Clark is just a role that he's playing. Like, it seems to at times represent some aspect of his own personality that doesn't get free reign in the rest of his life. Like, there's something very sincere and nerdy. Particularly and, with Philip and yeah. his visits. To, can we talk about his visits to Est yeah. in this episode? I think there's was, something real to that. Yeah, totally. I started to get confused about what's actually going on here. Well, I was surprised. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got it when he was going with Stan because mm-hmm. that's part of his covert relationship building. But when he was there by himself... I mean, is he trying to, like, because in the last episode we see Martha tells Philip that Stan has come to her place and has, you know, questioned her in a, in a way. And is Philip trying to kind of keep tabs on Stan through well, his ex-wife? Is it, was that the, or that not was, keep tabs yeah. on him, but get... That was the impression I had yeah. at first, but then I started to wonder. I started to second guess that. That was the part of the episode I liked the least, I'll be honest, was when Mrs. Beeman, I forget what her first name is, Sandra? Sandra. Sandra. Yeah. Um, she was like, let's just be really honest with yeah. each other. We're just going to tell each other everything. <laughs> it was like, give me a fucking break. Like, that is just and, such, like, and, that is not real. Like, I don't care how radical honesty the self-help group you're attending right. is. Like, that is not a conversation real people ever have. And it also comes after she said, like, only the littlest bit of, like, she told him that she was going to counseling with her new boyfriend or whatever and then she was like wait you can't tell you can't tell Stan that why would she share everything with him and expect someone who's like best friends with her husband to to not I don't know. Well, I would say that's all that scene. Everything in that scene is awkwardly expressed, but it's not inconsistent with her character based on Mm. what we've seen of her, because she was always the one who was pressing Stan to confess everything, to talk about everything right then and there in the bluntest possible terms. And he didn't want to do it. And that's and she is she's a blurter. She's, she's a let's. A she's a blurter. She's a let's talk it out person. And you know, yeah, that scene probably could have been better, but I didn't disbelieve the content of it. I did. I mean, look, I'm a talk it out person. I'm a blurter. Like I don't say shit like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> especially when, you know, of all the people to say it to, that just struck me as like a weird. It, it's like when you read a book about like kids at camp and they like swear to be best friends forever or something, right? It's just like, oh, you don't really do that. If there was someone you wanted to be fully transparently honest with, A, I don't know why you'd pick your ex-husband's close friend and former neighbor, but B, that's not how you go about it. You don't declare that you're going to be honest. You just behave honestly, right? Right. Well, and that's a, that, that's a, an infrequent instance of the show not not obeying that principle that I was right. talking about. And I, ago, I understood just, the People just behave. Yeah. I think it was more... More for Philip or more for us to, you know, we kind of see him in these positions where he's like, who can I be honest with? You know, and yes, this is presenting yeah. that kind of he does want to be. And, and I do get that feeling that he wants to be he wants to be able to be honest with somebody. And, you know, another thing I hope we can talk about a little bit is the idea of them as bad parents. Oh, yeah. Because I think that we've always been sort of aware of that, but I think it's come through more strongly than ever before in season two and even more so in season three. And what I love about the, the expression of it in season three is that it's so much more subtle. It's not just that, you know, their, their kids are in physical danger like they could be killed or something. You're seeing these little acts of neglect. And the one that just destroyed me was when they left Henry at home. playing the video games. They're like, the we'll be back way. at 10 o'clock. Yeah. He doesn't even look up. He doesn't even look up from his video game, and they walk out. They, I, and do they even look back? I don't know. And the camera pulls back and back and back from the back of that kid's head staring at that television. That's an amazing scene. It is. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing like 
people can relate to in an everyday sense, whereas wearing a wig and going to assassinate somebody, not so much, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we all have the models that we saw as children of how parenting works. And then when we grow up, we learn the flaws in those models and we see other models and we meet other people's families and we see the models that those families operate under. And so I think for Philip and Elizabeth, what we know of their childhood and their sort of the models of family that they were exposed to, it's not like a Montessori hands-on parenting kind of thing, right? Like <laughs> no. there's a lot of very difficult hardship that was endured and, and the kind of emotional expressiveness that we expect in a sort of cookie cutter American house is not what they grew up with at all. So I think it's just another instance of how high the expectations are on them and, and how difficult it is to you know, you can put on a wig and you can drop an accent and you can learn all these other things. But learning how to be a loving parent is actually really hard. And learning how to be a loving partner is really hard. There are plenty of people in like really joyous gumdrop life circumstances who don't do that very well. Right. So the idea that they would be super good at it, it's like, okay, like we can teach you karate and stuff. But are we, how easy is it to teach someone how to, how to be there for their kid? If we knew how to do that, we'd all do that, right? Yeah. And the show also does a great job of putting all that, all of that stuff you're talking about within the context of history and society at that time. This show gives you a sense of what the real America was like in the early 80s. And I don't mean like it doesn't do that Hollywood production design thing where, you know what I'm talking about? Like somebody goes to meet somebody in a diner and it's always got to be the kitschiest, coolest, most interesting diner in the world. (laughs) Like the places they go to eat are beige. Every (laughs) place is freaking beige and fluorescent lit and the the clothes are drained of color, devoid of personality. Everybody's a fashion disaster. They They haven't made the hair quite as ridiculous as it actually was in the 80s, but it really feels like the gaudiness of the 70s has been drained out and all that's left is just this sort of robotic consumerism. You know, you see the meeting in chain restaurants. You see the meeting in these nondescript bars that might as well be bars at airports. You know, and when they go to a hotel bar, a lot of the times it's not even a nice hotel. It looks like it could be, you know, a Marriott or something like that, you know. (laughs) And it's very real. And it reminds me of certain passages in like Lolita or in the early parts of Psycho where you feel like you're seeing like part of the shock of that the first 40 minutes of Psycho is not just the build up to the murder. But the fact that they're showing people the American Southwest as more or less it actually looked at that period of time and not trying to sell you this idea of America as a consumer paradise. It's like people are inhabiting the spaces they actually inhabit. And the atmosphere is cooked up so that it's more heightened and there's more tension and everything. But they're real people with real clothes and real spaces driving real cars and for the most part talking, using the vocabulary that people would use at that time. And uh it's really depressing, like, when you actually see it. And the characters on the show, like, you know, you're talking about the parents. Like, none of the parents that we've seen on the show seem like models of kind of Ozzy and Harriet moral rectitude. Sure. They all seem like they're struggling. And the characters who are not parents seem like they're struggling as well. Like, nobody seems like they've really they have embraced or are embodying the American dream, whatever we define that to mean. So and then we got Martha, Ronald Reagan right? on screen selling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martha, you know, who's like... she like, wants to adopt foster children. She, like... You know, she works hard and she has, like, her, like, prim little life. Like, I, she's... Every other meal is probably, you know, (laughs) made in a microwave. Yeah, I mean, she has that little corner 
Yes. And it's it's designed the way that she wanted it to be. And then obviously we know that she's a victim of a long emotional fraud that's part of a grand spy conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think she does have those boxes checked. Nobody seems happy in their job on that show. Really? I mean, like even happy, period. Even, right? the, even the people that you meet incidentally, like people who are parts of a scam that Philip and uh, Elizabeth are running, they're often disgruntled. I mean, obviously, they're targeting the disgruntled employees because they can get yeah. something from yeah. them. Yeah, but drones. Yeah, but nevertheless, the, it does seem like, you know, a nation of drones. And, and in the meanwhile, you've got Ronald Reagan on screen painting a very different picture. Yeah. You know, and the contrast, and I love that the contrast is there if you want to see it, but it's not jumping up in your face and going, look, contrast. <laughs> you know? One thing I did want to talk a little bit about is the role that sex plays on that show. So I think having, especially on the finale with the self-help group and everyone talking very explicitly about their sex lives and Philip sitting there sort of uncomfortably and Sandra sitting there sort of uncomfortably, this is a show that has a lot of sex on it, but... Only occasionally is that sex in any way romantic or erotic sex. Right. Um, and I think the way that the show contextualizes what sex is and what sex is for is very complicated. Well, it's a, they see. I feel like the show treats sex as a continuation of com- its communication. Like it's a form of communication, and it's and when we see sex on the show, it is it is defined like the verbal communication. It's in terms of honesty. You know, are both parties being honest, or is one of them being deceived, or is each of them trying to deceive the other in some way? And it's a sliding scale. It's not absolutely it's honest or dishonest. There's degrees of deception, degrees of omission within every every sex act on the show, no matter what the context, which is interesting. And even the way people talk about sex on the show is different than most shows. And there's and you never see like gauzy lighting and curtains blowing in the wind and you know hands clutching bed sheets. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a much more functional, real world. Like they treat the sex the way they treat the locations on the show. I think we only really see Philip and Elizabeth have sex once this season when she comes home. After having sex with the hotel guy, and she kind of like I would jumps argue, him. I would argue there's at least one other sex <laughs> yeah. scene, which is when he the extracts tooth. her tooth. Yeah. yeah. Oh right, right. The real <laughs> sex scene. Which here. is like that's the sex scene of the year, and that's not even a sex scene. <laughs> the tooth scene, I think, in addition to it being like, oh my god, a tooth yanking scene, like, Ugh, that's something that you just can't fake. Yeah. Right. Like in that moment. I don't care what names we're going by, what wigs we're wearing. You are pulling my tooth out, <laughs> right? That's that's very different yeah. then. Because yeah. there's a moment where she says, like, have you ever had to – it wasn't fake it, but I forget the term they were using when they were talking about, like, all the training they'd had to be able to have sex with all kinds of people. Have you ever had to fake it? Yeah, with me. Or with me, yeah. Do you ever have to work on it or whatever for me? And he said, sometimes, right? And I said, not now. Yeah, sometimes he said sometimes. Not but they're both and, such excellent liars, though. Right. Too. You know, but, <laughs> but that's, I, I mean, I didn't think he was lying right then. If he was no. going to lie, he'd be like, geez, of course not, right? So you wouldn't say, yeah, sometimes I'm I'm pretending to want to have sex with you and using my spy training so we can, right? Right. No, you wouldn't, if you're going to lie, that's not the lie you tell. So even in the, in the emotional center of the show, we have this, there's no there there. There's uh, this like very trying to hold a cloud in your hand kind of feeling. Well, there is. And, and then and the tooth thing, it was just like, you can't lie that one. You well, can't... when there was that scene at the beginning, I guess towards the beginning of season two, where you saw them in a 69, which was, I believe, a commercial TV first. Yeah. Yes. And that seemed like authentic tenderness was happening. Oh, sure. In that scene. Yeah. And, 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 but, you know, there's so much dishonesty on the show, incidental and intentional, that when we see a moment that seems to be completely devoid of deceptive qualities... It really it has a gut punch quality. 
And once in a while you get a scene like that sex scene I just mentioned or the extraction of the tooth or the scene, you know, obviously very different context between, you know, three generations of women in Russia where something inarguably real is happening and there's no subterfuge. Like the emotions are raw, they're simple, and and they're completely, they're not encrusted by any sort of ulterior motives. Matt actually caught me crying at my desk yesterday watching that scene. <laughs> he walked by and looked up and I was just like actually crying. And it was the moment where the grandma said, I missed you every day. And Elizabeth says, me too. And I just, oh I my was, God. Like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. Because first of all, like this is a sad moment. It'd be sad for anyone to be with their dying parent and to think this is the last conversation. But that's the, we very rarely see her in true vulnerability. She's an excellent spy. She is very good at, I don't even know if she experiences that many feelings anymore. Right. And yeah. so to know that, that, that she, she has them. that she has and that I just lost it and then I also there was that mm-hmm. moment when Paige is standing and she's holding the two hands and Elizabeth is kneeling on the ground and the grandmother's in the chair just the whole way that was lit and designed it, I mean it was like a renaissance painting there well was and it did I was so gonna evocative. say it had a quality of religious art absolutely yeah yeah there was like a very um you know Marian aspect to it yeah guys one last question could you ever see Philip and Elizabeth becoming double agents absolutely yeah. I, not her but him Okay, working with Stan. Well, I'm just going to tell you my my pet theory, and God knows that I always call it wrong. So take this with like a grain of salt the size of one of Jupiter's moons. I feel like every time we admit that we can't predict, it's like everybody drink. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. But what I could see happening is Philip can't take it anymore. I can't see Philip going over to completely over to the dark side in the way that Elizabeth has. And Elizabeth is a, is a traumatized person. We tend to forget that. Like, I, I I always want to resist, like, reading her as, like, you know, the cold bitch kind of character who can't feel anything. Like, there's a reason why she's tamped down. Oh, sure. You know? I don't think she's a cold bitch. I think she yeah. can't feel anything because that's her job. Yeah, she and also there's things in her past that contribute to that as sure. well. And we were made aware of them in the very first episode. But... That said, I feel like she is in less danger of letting guilt affect her ability to do her job than Philip, who's in a constant state of spiritual torment that only seems to get worse. So I think he could be picked to be turned, and I think he could be turned, and I think eventually Elizabeth could turn as well, but only to save her family. Like, it wouldn't be for ideological reasons, and it might not even be to save her husband because he's gotten out of a jam. Like, I think ultimately... Given the choice between choosing her husband or Mother Russia, I think she'd choose Mother Russia. Absolutely. I think she would. But I don't think she would do it at the expense of her children. Well, I think that's what the, one of the things she has in common with Paige, right, is that they both believe they are serving a higher purpose. Yes. And Elizabeth thinks of her higher purpose as Russia, that the organization that she's part of, whatever bad thing she's asked to do or whatever difficult thing she's asked to do is ultimately serving a great purpose. And I think that's a way that she relates to Paige that Philip is not quite as able to because as much as he believes in the mission, we're seeing more and more his lack of commitment. Yes. He'd rather choose his family over anything. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah, and he so. also, I mean, he's the one who mentions, like, you know, it's not so bad here. There is yeah. food. Well, and, and like every, it seems like every three or four episodes, there's a moment where he either outright says or hints that he's about to say, you know, maybe there's a way we could not yeah. do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he seems like he's constantly scanning the horizon for a door that they can make a quick exit through. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think that absolutely could happen, and I don't know if it would happen through Stan. But part of what makes this all so um, strangely touching is our knowledge of how the Cold War turned out. Right. So that's how the dread thing, you know? I think, plays in, right? We're because six years away from the fall of the Berlin Wall now. There's no good end for them. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever their wish is, that, that wish is not coming true. 
But our wish did come true. We did a whole episode of The Americans. And that's it for this week's All-Americans edition of the Vulture TV podcast. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Vulture, and you can email us any questions or comments at tvquestions@vulture.com. Our producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. Our senior producer is Laura Mayer. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Margaret Lyons. You can find me on Twitter at Margin Charge. I'm Matt Zoller Sites. You can reach me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Sites. And you can catch us all here again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>